I've known Douglas as he reached out and I would say he might be one of the first fans of, of GLC Live that actually reached out and says, said uh, that he enjoys the content of the podcast. And, uh, and then we, we briefly met online and uh, Douglas shared his wonderful book with me. He's a super cool guy, a very interesting beard and uh, a look that you can tell that he has a thousand ideas in his mind at every given second. And this is my, might be the reason why his company is called Voltage Control. I'm super excited to see where this conversation will go and I'm super happy to have such a professional on the show. My name is Gianluca Cinque Palmi. You are listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. This show is dedicated to designers, creatives, and entrepreneurs that, like me, want to inspire, challenge, and disrupt the business and design industry. In this episode, Harnessing Innovation with Douglas Ferguson. Ciao, Douglas, and welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation today. <laughs> yeah, me too. So first of all, um, thank you for reaching out. And uh, I'm super pleased that you enjoy the content of, of the podcast. And uh, I'm always happy to have like-minded people that want to change the industry and they are actively working in the industry. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and the amazing workshops that you facilitate and all your super secrets and your secret powers, superpowers? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think that one of my big superpowers is that I have a background in software development. I was a, I wrote a code for many years and, and then got into leadership and um, became a CTO for a lot of startups. And uh, that, that, foundation gave me a real passion for how to motivate teams and how to um, set up teams for success. Like what are the structures that allow us to get our best work done? And, and also an understanding of complex adaptive systems and, and how you can work within these constraints to, to basically um, find new novel things and, and lean in on some of the phenomenon that that exist in these environments so that we can get the best work done and, um, and really take ourselves in a, in a new direction and prepare ourselves for the future. Uh, and most recently I, uh, founded a facilitation agency called voltage control. And, um, you know, it's really focused on how do we help people work better together? We're on a mission to rid the world of horrible meetings. And <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, Let's say we have so many meetings and so many of them are, are, are really horrible. And, you know, whether it's through our meeting mantras or through the workshops that we design or the trainings that we hold to help people become better facilitators, we're just kind of chipping away at it one, one chunk at a time. And, uh, and we, we just view, we have a view of the future that involves much uh, more productive meetings. Mm, that's great. And, and so... Uh, tell us a little bit, how did you came up with, with the book Beyond the Prototype and why did you decide to 
to write such an amazing book. Uh, I had the, the opportunity to read through it and there were so many interesting ideas and actually very applicable to any kind of organization. I found it extremely interesting. So how did you come up with the book? Yeah, you know, uh, there's like, there's kind of two levels at play here. One, uh, Karen Holst and I were working on a book called Start Within, which we just launched actually. Pretty excited about that. And this was a book for um, entrepreneurs, although we didn't really focus, we didn't use that term if much, if at all. And because we were really focusing on anybody who has ideas and just wants to get their ideas forward. And as we were exploring that book, I thought to myself, man, there's so much I don't know about writing books. Maybe I should just write a, a shorter book that will help me understand the, the landscape. I could have some fun with the design, maybe do a color book and get playful with it. And and then that turned into a much bigger project because I was searching for a topic and I thought, well, what's really relevant for, for my customers and my friends and colleagues right now? And I started kind of poking around at some things. And it's really this after the design sprint kind of feeling mm-hmm. and situation that find, people find themselves in. And the interesting thing is that the, once I started to really unpack it, I realized that while well, this applies to things outside of the design sprint. It's not just the design sprint. It's sure. really any kind of ideation activity or you know, a session where we're exploring potential solutions. But then what? You know, I think the hackathon is maybe the grossest example of this because you know, there's typically not much structure to them. And you come out with some ideas and it's really hard to, to harness that, any momentum that was created. Now, the design sprint's much more structured and you're, you know, it's much more laser focused on, you know, you're sending people through this funnel. And once you get them to that precipice at the top of the mountain, they've, they have so much potential, right? I mean, that's yeah. literally the definition of potential. You're, you rode this momentum wave all the way up to the crest. And then now are you well positioned on that surfboard to ride it down and get the most <laughs> out of all that energy? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what it's about. And so it's just some tips on how to navigate that stuff. And, you know, be on the prototype, being more specific about design sprints and those types of kind of ideation sessions where we're coming out of it. And now what do we do about this project? Whereas start with ends a little bit more about, I have an idea. How do I navigate the, my company and the landscape? How do I even talk to my manager about like getting my idea kind of to the next level and uh, getting some traction on it? So here I would like to, to take the first tangent and and I want to use your experience because first of all, maybe we can talk a little bit about what's a design sprint for the people mm. that don't really know what's that. And then we can attach to that. Uh, let, let's see if we can challenge ourselves between me and you, if we can do sort of a tennis match and try to explain in in 30 seconds, what's a design sprint and where does it come from uh, for our, our audience, first, uh, first of all? Perfect, yeah. So um, there's lots of opinions on the origin. I'm a, uh, I believe that the design sprint came from Jake Knapp uh, at Google, yep. yes. and he developed it while working on Hangouts uh, yeah. with, with some coworkers and started to realize that man, we're not getting a ton of traction. Let me think about how I can ensure that the, this next meeting we have, when we get together you know, in a few weeks, 
how do I structure this so that we get the get the most done? And he he was he was pretty satisfied with the results, and so he thought to himself, "Wow, this what if other teams started to you know work in the similar ways?" And came back to Google and kind of transitioned his job into a person who kicks off projects for other teams, and so cool. that people could sign up for Jake to help kick off his team and uh, kick off the project. And so he started to refine that process and, and dial it in. So basically, we can say that design sprints are a way to create a fast prototype and to get in five days, basically, that was the structure. Uh, maybe we can leave uh, some details and there is a wonderful book that is actually called yes. Sprint uh, yes. that I will link on, on, on the page and on the, on the page of the podcast. And... In, in a nutshell, what happens is we concentrate the ideas of generating a new idea or generating a prototype as, as functioning as possible in five days. So it's divided by uh, each and every day there is, a, there is a, a single activity that starts from idea generation to idea evaluation. And then we do the classical, we can say, divergent and convergent thinking just concentrated in five days and then at the end of these five days you should be able to have a working prototype of your ideas right that's Pretty right much. yes and and this like you said this was this is very popular in um, in tech companies i would say uh, like google or microsoft or apple i would say that they have digital prototypes but not only i mean ido was a huge um a a, a, a huge uh promoter of this technology uh and i would say also design thinking no so it's the same similar process but I've been coaching and I've been teaching design thinking and design sprints to students. And uh, my experience goes from, you know, 12 years old to 65 years old. <laughs> because I, I did it both in, in the academia and also in, in the consulting industry. And I want your opinion. Where do you think this kind of practices fell short where do mm. you think the because the, they are amazing and for sure i mean if a company like google is using it for sure they are not wasting their time and their money on this kind of practices but where do they fell short when uh, because consulting as well sometimes with companies especially smes they they don't really see the value of doing this kind of exercises or doing this kind of activities because they think they are only for big corporations mm. and sometimes also the facilitators they fell short because they can't really uh, transfer these ideas or they can't transfer the benefit of it where do you think this uh, these practices fell short and how can we explain better to companies that they are actually good practices if, if done correctly yeah, you know, there's lots of there's lots of gotchas, and you know, I talk about quite a few of them in the book. And yeah. you're you're also touching on this this notion that um, the design sprint was 
you know, invented at Google and then kind of perfected at Google Ventures. So a lot of startup companies, um, software companies even, um, and we've used it to, to a high degree of success with companies and lots of industries using it for lots of different challenges, not just software. I mean, we can look at employee experience. We, um, the trick is, the main thing to think about is how we translate the prototype. Yeah. Because we're not always going to use Envision or Figma or even Marvel or something where we're thinking about a click-through experience delivering some sort of you know, um, software experience. And sometimes it's going to be a spreadsheet. Um, sometimes it's going to be an algorithm. It could be, we even did a design sprint with an AI uh, team that was essentially laying out um, the conceptual design for how this uh, AI might work. We've, we've even um, had a, helped a development team work on a data model. So they were sure. bringing in other people from throughout the organization to get their perspectives and to co-create um, the concept. Now, here's one big gotcha that I want people to understand because it can work across lots of different industries for lots of different problems. You just have to really think about what your prototype, you got to get in that prototype mindset and think, what problem are we trying to solve? What questions do we have? Where, where is our risk and what do we need to test? And so you design that really well then you can gain a lot of learnings. Now, ideally, this process teaches you how important and necessary this way of working, this way of thinking is so that you can repeat it. Because a lot of people get hung up on this like, well, it's important to be an expert in research. It's important to be have slow design. Like There's a reaction to the design sprint around this whole slow design movement. And I'm all for slow design. Yet, it's important to do a spike every now and then to, uh, to get to a rapid understanding. So then you, then the rest of the organization can be comfortable waiting for that slow design. True. Because if you just try to make the case, we need slow design, like how do you build confidence and leadership that, you sh- that you're going after the right things? Because otherwise you're just going, you're working off of a hunch. And it's yeah. going to take a while to get to that perfect data. It's the same thing as you know um, your statisticians or your quants wanting to wait around until until you run the test in the cloud as an or in live in market as an MVP. Well, the design sprint can get you a lot of quick and dirty data today. It's not it's not going to be completely accurate, and that's another gotcha. Yeah. If people think of the design sprint as the be all end all, and it's going to tell you everything and you're going to walk out with like the stuff you just hand to your developers, that is a mistake because True. you are going to ruin all your momentum. If you get to that point and you think that that's it, then, then you just kind of squander all the momentum that you had. If instead you realize there's more work to be done, then you get to work after the design sprint and you harness all that, all that potential that you built up like you're going to grab that momentum and use it. If you just assume that you're in a good spot, basically you're going to sit back and go, wait, what went wrong? Meanwhile, the, your momentum is just, you know, you're losing it day by day. You know? True. But uh, don't you think, for example, I was talking with a couple of friends and CEOs in this moment and, you know, globally is, is a tough moment. It's a tough mm-hmm. moment for everyone. And I think, you know, I was the, my closest friend that run big companies. Uh, I asked them, I said, so 
how, how are you doing like what what do you what's your strategy now and uh, surprisingly everybody is saying the same thing they're like okay we are waiting we are waiting to see how the market reacts and basically what they're trying to do and they're rushing in a way uh, in in two areas which is cost reduction and uh, digitalization. So basically, they are running and they are chasing this digital transformation. That, for sure, this epidemic and this pandemic has brought a huge, you know, it, it stepped the foot on on the on, on the throttle. But uh, people like you and me, we were talking about this for ten years prior and say, hey guys, maybe you should digitalize. Maybe you should think uh, a better way of working. And now. A lot of companies have been forced to do That's that, right. right? And and because now you are forced, not necessarily you are doing uh, the right steps, or you're doing the, the steps with the necessary uh, accuracy that needs to be done. So, I wonder if with all these methodologies, and I, I want your opinion because I'm a firm believer of this so much so that. When when I get a lot of requests to to do design thinking workshops, I always start from the foundation of design thinking. I I rarely speak of the five phases. I rarely speak of uh, actually taking the steps because, in my opinion, everybody can go online and you know write down design thinking. Or surprisingly, you get these five steps. You know, empathize, etc. Uh, and very, very few people talk about the foundation. So, and this is, I think, is is in a way is a cardinal sin because, like you said, it's more about the mindset that you have in this company. Like you said, the design sprint is not going to solve all your management problem or mm-hmm. your digitalization. The fact that you buy the best conferencing tools and you are having all your workforce on Zoom and taking calls. And actually, you can see, this, these are the statistics. They're saying that people are working much more in terms of hours because um, they have kids at home, so they can't focus, so they, they work much longer hours. But, uh, but the problem is that managers are becoming increasingly frustrated. They become micromanagers. And this shows that in reality, you have a management problem. It's not a technology problem, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we change? Because, for example, in my opinion, this moment is the perfect moment to embed this kind of mentality, embed this business design mentality, these ideas of getting comfortable with the unknown. There are tons of companies that are extremely uncomfortable with the unknown. While when you are on the design side of things, you are very comfortable with the unknown. And you know that a certain process eventually will lead you to the solution. But, you know, any great good designer knows that, you know, if I'm designing a table or or, or whatever, I'm not sure what my solution will be when I start designing. I, I allow my process to go, right? Mm-hmm. So how can we change this mindset? How can we uh, uh, how can we explain to 
in companies that are now in a way the you know the first thing that they say when I reach out to them and say hey do you need help they were oh no 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 we are cutting all the consulting budget we are cutting every, every expense that you know is not necessary and how can we explain to them and say hey look there are different ways we can actually help you and now you have the perfect moment because in a way you saw where the mistakes are, where your problems are, where are your pain points, who are the people that, you know, just because they were in the office and they were not performing, for example, or the structure of a meeting needs to be totally different. Mm -hmm. uh, because a great manager was a great manager before the lockdown and is a great manager now in the lockdown. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think it's it comes down to individual managers, like you say, and, and, and efficiencies there. It also, I think, um, is impacted by your meeting culture and the, and the meeting systems by which you, um, the, these are the operating agreements by which you, you, you work and you get work done. And, and those need to be addressed. But if people don't understand that those they're problematic or they're, that's the root cause of some of their issues, then, um, then you know they're not. They're, it's going to be a difficult time making any progress. And so, I guess I defer back to advice that I typically give startups when when I'm coaching them. And if I tell them, look, when you're doing early market go to market, you want to think about um, you, you can think about the maturity, if you will, of your of your of your customer because the there's a there's a portion of your market that just don't have your problem. Okay. If they don't have the problem, you should steer clear of them because they're going to be a major distraction, right? <laughs> they might entertain your conversations, but they're not going to be ever be your customer because they don't have the problem that you're solving. Or if they do somehow manage to sign up, they're going to, they're going to be a pain because they're going to have all these questions, issues, desires, but they don't have the problem you're solving. So it's, at the end of the day, it's a disconnect. Then there's people that have the problem but don't realize it. And then you're in a situation where you have to educate them and you have to bring them on board. And that's a whole, I mean, if you're trying to build a project and you're like convincing people of something they don't believe, that's a Herculean effort as well. So like it's best to avoid those people. Then there's the people that have the problem, realize it, but aren't actively seeking a solution. And a lot of those people probably already tried to solve it and maybe decided it's unsolvable. Those are not ideal either. But going after the people that have the problem, they realize it and they're actively seeking a solution. Now they are the ones that to, 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 to double down on. And I agree with you. There, is ton, there are tons of people that are tightening the belt. And, and honestly, a lot of the belt tightening from what I can see is just a way of like, um, well, it's just a way of, of trimming some fat or getting rid of the underperformers that they were already planning on um, getting rid of. But now it's a convenient excuse. So they don't mm. have to like craft a message. Um, I, I've seen that a ton throughout throughout the industry um, right now. And then, uh, but you know, then you look at companies like Airbnb, and they're and they're and, and they're definitely cutting much deeper than that, right? And so, sure. um, so but there's tons of companies that I've I've seen that um, are of the mindset that we have a five year plan. True. There's a strategy in place and we are laser focused on it and it doesn't matter what's happening. Sure, we're going to take this stuff into account, but we're not going to be distracted by it because if we get distracted by it, if we get pulled into this like um, reactionary thinking, 
then it's going to um, derail our strategy. And I think that's really a profound way to approach things. It means that you have great management. It means you have a solid vision. It means that you're unflappable and you're focused on what needs to get done and you're getting it done. And those are the clients we're really enjoying working with right now because they're, you know, they realize that the things need to get done despite all, all of this. Now, you know, I think generally everyone took a bit of a, of a reset, right? Because, Absolutely. you know, it's like, how do we deal with this stuff? And, you know, I, while I totally agree with you, we're in this very interesting time. It's a social experiment no one could have ever organized. It, it was thrust upon us. This is going to be researched for decades, if not like, you know, centuries. Sure. It's going to be a moment in time that people look back on and are there and, you know, crunching the data and from psychology to, to uh, pharmacology, right? It's like mm-hmm. every, everything you can imagine is going to be impacted by learnings from this. And th- I will say this, it's been phenomenal as far as the impacts to how people think about remote work and yeah. how people are leaning into remote work. Managers that didn't think they could manage remote teams are now realizing that it's possible. But let me tell you, in all of this um, amazing breakthroughs where people are setting up home offices and getting dialed in and getting really comfortable working from home, it is far from ideal. Of course. Because our systems aren't in place, our supply chains are still wrecked, and the kids are outside the door slipping little notes underneath the door saying, I miss you. And there's a psychological toll with having that extra level of stress that once that goes away, and now we understand the power of remote work and virtual workshops and being able to connect virtually, when that becomes a, not a requirement, but, a, but an option and something that we use as a very strategic tool, it's going to be a profound change. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And, and I believe... Uh, I'm doing, you know, I, I relocated to Italy from Hong Kong recently just for family reasons. And I'm basically restarting, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and what I tried to do, the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, I need to connect with like-minded people. And I discovered... Uh, happily i would say that there are a ton of people that stay in in our line of work that you know in a way we were having this soft voice <laughs> because we've been talking about it creativity resilience and now more than ever people like us that want to make companies better want to uh, have companies to achieve their their you know their maximum potential the true potential we can say. But I think there is a message that I've been trying to push um, on different platforms, which is how important it is for us to reskill. First and foremost, you need to understand mm. that your team and you as a corporation, you as a as a you know, as an institution or a, as a company, you have the duty to reskill your employees because otherwise they they will become redundant. So the first part is is very important that you find a way to to reskill your um, your resources and 
maybe we can insert, you know, yes, the the hard skills were extremely important. The fact that you have great coders, great marketers, uh, great designer or, or great salesman was very important. But more important now is how they can think creatively. How can they think critically? And these exercises, like everything, design thinking, design sprints, business design, um, empathy, <laughs> mapping, you name it. There are a lot of, of activities that we can do. And even if you are doing, you know, even if you are a tile manufacturer in, uh, I can say in Italy, and you think that your product or service will be uh, is something that's been doing the same thing for 40 years or 50 years, in reality, this is the time for you to change. This is the time for getting your people to the place that, hey, come up with ideas, practice this critical and creative thinking so that you can find solutions. And there are a lot of tools and a lot of people out there that they can help you. And for example, you were saying, right, a design sprint, a prototype, understanding what you were trying to do uh, was essential. And there are these tools, but I would say that I don't like this idea that a lot of consultants try to offer the silver bullet Mm. Like, oh, if you do this program, <laughs> uh, you know, you, <laughs> but I was, uh, and maybe this is my educator, you know, I am a teacher at heart. And I say, but you need to understand the foundations. You need to understand the, you know, the fundamental principles. What are they? They are exactly that. They are creativity. They are critical thinking. They are problem solving. There are, you know, empathy. Uh, and even if you are a manager and you are under stress because everybody's under stress, you can apply this empathetic leadership by saying, if you are under stress, imagine your reports <laughs> that are also under stress. So maybe also having this, this is a perfect moment to practice our emotional intelligence as well. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot there. I mean, <laughs> you started off with upskilling and, and then and then landed on this emotional intelligence. And, yeah. you know, and, and I just recently was speaking with a friend of mine where we were talking about VQ, which was like, what's your virtual quotient? Like how, wow. how, how um, tuned in to the, 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 the needs of kind of virtual connection are, are, are you? And because reading the room, reading the virtual room is much more difficult. And, um, and also I think there's levels of capability, you know, just because you know how to fire up zoom and maybe turn on Snapcam doesn't mean that you're uh, being um, super thoughtful around the purpose of our gatherings and, and what we're trying to accomplish and, and how Absolutely. we realize that in the virtual setting. And I think it takes a lot of intention and a lot of work to get there. And, um, and so that's something that we need to work on and, uh, and then there's also, you know, a good friend of mine uh, who runs an accelerator here in town, Josh Bear, had turned me on this concept of, um, you know, I think he called it face capital. And so this notion that right now we're burning down a lot of our resources that we built up between each other, right? That we, um, our ability to, to, to collaborate has a lot to do with the understanding and rapport we built through our face-to-face -face interactions True. and how much we've gotten to know each other. And um, because 
there is a lot we pick up on when we're, we're actually in the room together. And so, um, so understanding those things, being intentional about them, um, even the, I think also there's an element of self-care too, um, you know, because sitting down in front of a zoom meetings all day is exhausting and how, it, it and, is. and then, you know, and, and homeschooling kids and, and things. And so, you know, making sure that, that we do take out that time to, to, to bring our be- best selves, because if we don't first work on ourselves, we can't expect to help and work on others. And so True. I think that that, that is a first step. And one of the best tips I've had, I've, I've had for folks is to turn off your, your self camera because, uh, so often, you know, you're just staring at this video of yourself all day and thinking, oh, is my shirt wrinkled or like, oh, mm-hmm. am, I, am I sitting just right in front of the camera? True. And if you, can, if you can let that dissolve and, and go away, you'll be a lot more comfortable and a lot less um, judgmental about yourself. And, and, and even if you're not consciously judging yourself, if you see yourself, mm-hmm. you're subconsciously judging like you're, you're noticing things about your, yourself. And that does, it's not something that happens in, in, in person meetings or when you go to the office, there's not mirrors up where you're constantly just True. observing and thinking like, Oh, what am I doing? Am I doing this right? This is um, maybe if you're at the gym and there's mirrors, it's important because you want your form to be good, but you're not, it's exhausting. I mean, it, it's like, if you take that analogy it's like being at the gym all day and concentrating True. on your form all day, but it's like, is my meeting form correct? You know? And True. so those things are going to have, have a toll. So there is a, um, there is an upskilling around this virtual work and how to, how to take care of yourself in this virtual environment. And that's something that we've really leaned in on around. Uh, we offer free uh, sessions every week that are for our, um, for our facilitation community around facilitation mm-hmm. practice where we're exploring some of these concepts and ideas. And then we have paid training, of course, where we're really leaning in on the folks that are wanting upskill. And honestly, uh, it ties back to a question you asked earlier about how do we convince leadership? And that's been one of the approaches that I, we found works well is instead of, um, instead of targeting the leaders that haven't quite figured it out yet, we're, we're helping the doers the, pe- the boots on the ground that realize True. there needs to be some change or, and they're taking, they're taking the situation in their own hands. And so we're, that we can help train them and educate them on how to do these things. And then if, and then if they go back and have little wins and successes, those little mini case studies have a way of bubbling yeah. up to leadership. And then it's like, wait, how do we do that? We need to do more of that. And it, it takes time and it's organic, but, uh, but that's the approach that we think is more resilient and, yeah. and has a more staying power. Yeah, that's that's what I'm actually doing now. Um, I I give you a, a preview. Actually, <laughs> you are the first person I'm telling this. Oh, nice! I'm, <laughs> I'm launching. So what happened is I finished my first course on business design, and I was which was absolutely targeted to uh, startups and companies that want to use business design to innovate and think creatively and transform in a way their business. And a couple of friends, which I've been testing uh, both my book and uh, the course, and I said, hey, I, I, I wrote this course. Um, what do you think about it? And, and a lot of them said, oh, this is interesting. I'm not sure I'm going to do it in the company, but I think there are some interesting um, 
angles here that I can use in my own personal development. So something sparked an idea there, and I was like, wow, really? So I, I decided to, to shift in a way, and I'm also providing a personal development course now based on the same principles that talks about this, that talks about resilience, that talks about creativity. And I'm so happy that you are mentioning this because maybe... Uh, I don't know. I I'm I'm doing it for the social purpose because I believe that if we do have something to share, it is our duty to share it as well. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Because you know we have been working on this for a long time, and 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 if there is something that was working, it's it's worth sharing with others. And 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 I would never thought that I was going to do a personal development course because <laughs> I always think, you know, I'm actually developing myself. But also I, I wanted to break this barrier and, and fight my fears in a way. Uh, because, of course, my my thought was, you know, like like I said, I'm a, I'm a teacher, right? And when I'm in front of students, I'm very comfortable. But when I was doing personal development on uh, a professional level, I was like, oh, am I going to be perceived as Tony Robbins or something like that? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, that's absolutely something that I don't want to do. But in reality, I figured out that if I am, you know, if I'm practicing what I'm preaching, I also need to push my creativity. I also need to... Um, push my boundaries. And so I developed this course on personal development, which I use these creativity tools that say, uh, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to do a prototype for a product or a service that a company is going to do, I'm going to do a prototype on the way that I make an effective meeting, like you were saying, right? And I'm going to test. And if you are looking at your day and you're saying, okay, today I have 10 meetings, Imagine how many prototypes you can do. And you can say, mm-hmm. like you did, simple things, very practical things. I'm looking at my Zoom and what you said, I, I, I've been trying to practice. And I said, you know what? I have this little window. I'm going to shrink it. And I, now I don't see myself anymore. Mm-hmm. Let me practice. This is a prototype. My good friend from IBM, is uh, his name is Michael Tam, always tells me every time uh, we meet, uh, and I say, oh, I hope to see you. And, and, and he said, oh, for sure. And life is a prototype. Everything is a prototype. Oh, that's so good. Yes, it's yeah, so if good. everyone approached life that way, I think we'd all be a bit happier. I yes. think um, so many dreams get crushed because there was a lot, there was no prototype. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, to me, the the idea of, um, slogan or phrase really sums it up. And it's, I don't know if you've heard this one, but uh, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a prototype is worth a thousand meetings. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. I've read it on your book. Yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. And and if if we can give a message to uh, some young designers, I would say that that is you know, uh, first of all, this Thursday is going to be. Uh, the last uh, class for many of my graduate students, uh, and they are facing, you know, it's it's a tough moment to graduate. But if we can leave a message, is 
truly approach your life as a prototype. I, I'm doing this course. I put some hours into it. Uh, of course, I wish that my course blows up and I make a million dollars. I will not, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound, uh, how do you say, um, not cheesy. Uh, I'm missing the word here. Um, but of course I want that. But in, if it doesn't work, I know that I have the strength in me. I have the idea to say, okay, I've done it. I, I made some steps. I emailed these people. I made this this practice. Didn't work. I analyze. okay, what didn't work? Why didn't work? How can I make it better? I'm not going to give up and say, oh my God, I'm a terrible uh, professional. I'm going to learn from that experience, whether it's good, it's bad. This same podcast started as a, you know, th this podcast that we are recording now started as uh, for fun with my students. And then, you know, we are at episode plus 20 plus. And, and hopefully this will go on for a while. Uh, but it started as a prototype. And honestly, guys, it took me three months to do one episode that was worth publishing. So we're going to, you're always going to learn. This is my advice. So I want, uh, Douglas, if you can, if you can give like one advice also from your side to, you know, how can we use innovation tools and design sprints or all this kind of mindset that we have? How can we give this advice for people that are looking for um, improving uh, themselves or they are trying to reskill? You know, I, 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 I might have said prototypes because they're so important to me. And uh, I think you got that one covered pretty well. You know, and I agree that we, we, have, to, we have to analyze the, the, the good times. When things work, we still need to look at how do we barely slip by and what can we learn from that? And I completely agree. If you're thinking about it from a prototyping mindset, it's like we're looking at what are our riskiest assumptions? How do we test them? What questions do we have that need to be answered? And we're going to focus on those things rather than just going and trying to realize this thing and then, and then getting bummed out when it doesn't work. And also that mindset of going in as a prototype helps us even uh, make sure that we do the retrospective because if, you, um, if you're building a prototype, then it goes hand in hand that we would look at and analyze um, uh, how things are working or, or what's gone wrong. Now, uh, since you covered prototypes, I'll just add narrative. I think yes. that um, so often we are running this narrative in our own head around how things are working and why they are, what way they are, and what's important. And you know, uh, essentially, that internal narrative is um, layered into a set of values that you mm -hmm. have inside yourself. And even if you haven't articulated them, you're going to filter the things you hear and the things that you say by the set of values that you hold, what is important to you. And if you want to have a movement, if you want to get work done and have people uh, successfully create a project together, then you need to find those shared values. Where, where is their alignment? Where is their overlap between you and the rest of the organization around, uh, around these values and what you hold dear and important? And if you're filtering through some values and someone else is filtering through some values, 
then, you know, and you don't move beyond just the, the, the project brief or the company slogan, it's going to be really hard to get the work done because you haven't gotten to real alignment. I think that's a lot of what the first day of the design sprint is about, is about getting the team highly aligned so we understand directionally where we're headed and we get past just the, the, um, this, the, the company jargon. Right? We get True. to a deep understanding of what is going on and what we're trying to do. And we understand trade-offs and compromises. And if we can craft that into a narrative that we all really understand, and we've gone past semantic differences, and we've gotten to these shared values, then things become really resilient. And so those narratives are just super critical. And I was having this conversation Monday with my friend Antonio Civita, which is another business designer. He does a lot of um, facilitation and, and work similar to us. And he told me something that resonated with me instantly. And I want to share this with you because I believe this will be amazing for you. He said, I know that I succeeded in my transformation when the people in the organization don't ask me for meetings, but ask me for workshops. <laughs> yeah. So imagine how powerful that would be if we could all transform this organization and instead of doing meetings, we are doing workshops. So we go into a, something that we have to work together because if we have a meeting, it's like, okay, we are discussing something, but not necessarily we are getting things done. That's imagine right. if we go into a workshop and you say, okay, we are going to get together one-on-one -on -one or one-on-20 to dot, dot, dot. It's not only the agenda. It's a workshop. That would be right. fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, that, you, talk, you speak in my language. There's, there's, um, there's a few things that I'll unpack there. One, we have a, uh, one of our meeting mantras is do the work in the meeting. So we're big fans Amazing. of if you're going to gather, let's get together and do stuff. And prototypes are a great way to make that happen. If you make a prototype together, if you work on a prototype, if you revise it, then you're doing stuff. If you find yourself talking about something you want to go build, and you haven't like opened up Google Docs or Google Slides or Keynote or PowerPoint or whatever it is that's going to be the home of that future thing, and you haven't started like hacking away at it while everyone's looking and reacting, then you're really missing out. Like you really need to True. do the work in the meeting together. And then um, the other thing is, um, I'll say that um, you can take that notion of I love this idea of people asking for workshops rather than meetings, and the and I'll, I'll we take that a slightly nuanced step further, which is. We, uh, when we're doing our meetings, um, sorry, when we're doing our meeting culture design workshops, we yeah. have people actually look at their lexicon and say, not everything is a meeting. So let's, let's instead, let's name them appropriately. And True. so let's think about our language and how we are intentional about like what it, what it says that we're doing. Is this a review? Is this a workshop? Is this a, you know, whatever it is that make it important to you that, and that way when people walk in, they understand what, what it is. Uh, and then, of course, you, you mentioned agendas, and there's I have a I have a whole like half day module on like <laughs> how to properly think about agendas because I can tell you they're not a list of topics. If you're doing a list of topics as your agenda, you're doing it wrong. Um, and I'm happy to talk more about that some later time. <laughs> I, I would love to hear that because and and if we can give a a very brief. Um, a very brief um, recap. This is the kind of things that we need to do. 
we have to uh, concentrate on resilience. We have to apply critical and creative thinking. There are a lot of tools that we can use. We have to rethink the way that we approach meetings. I'm going to go super fast because I know that we have an hour <laughs> stop. Yeah. Um, and we are trying to wrap up all of this. And the last thing that you said, we have to change our the way that we think. We have to change our lexicon. But we can if we put ourselves in the right mindset. And the right mindset is, let's not, you know think only on on the things that we are not doing but see our uh trajectory trajectory as a prototype everything can be modified everything can be uh made better but we need to do the work can did we say uh, sum it up well uh, yeah <laughs> I, I think that's like really critical for people to think about Douglas, thank you so, so much for being in the show. Definitely, we're going to have another conversation about the agenda. I don't, I'm going to keep you accountable on that. And yeah, absolutely. If, if we want to find you, where should we find you? You can find us at voltagecontrol.com. Voltagecontrol.com. So, Douglas, here are some few tips that we discussed about harnessing um, innovation. As always, thank you so, so much. This is GLC Live. I'm Gianluca Cinque Palmi. Special thanks to Douglas Ferguson. If you enjoyed this podcast and videocast, subscribe and comment on our podcast on YouTube, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, please visit glc.live.